This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. This is the Ward 8 candidates for City Council in Oklahoma City. Um, and we also have Stephanie Henson here, who is the uh League of Women Voters of Oklahoma, Vice President. And then we have Frank Urbanic and Amy Warren here. And uh, we're just going to have a little laid back conversation here um, about the responsibilities of being a city council member and why these people make good candidates for those responsibilities. So um, I'll let Stephanie go ahead and give her a little uh, introduction to herself real quick, and then we'll go right around the table and go to Mr. Urbanic and then to Ms. Warren. Yeah, thanks. I, again, Stephanie Henson, and um, I'm just so appreciative. I'm actually a Ward 8 uh, citizen, so I appreciate you both. So I, I mainly just wanted to emphasize how much, how much, how much I appreciate you both being here. And it means a lot that you're just willing to come and let folks know, because for sure, as a member of the League of Women Voters, one of the things that we find most compelling is just having folks willing to engage in open and exciting conversation about public policy and about how we can make our communities better. So it's really, really meaningful that you're both here. Thanks for having us. Go ahead, Mr. Urbanic. It's all on you. All right. Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Frank Urbanic, and that's, that's 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 perfectly fine. Um, but uh, but yeah. So of course, Ward Eight, and uh, I'm a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve. Um, in fact, I've, I've spent eight. I'm sorry, six out of the last eight months on active duty. I was sent to Germany, and I was sent to Qatar for three months, uh, and uh, I. I sure to emphasize this because people are putting out there that all I do is a criminal defense attorney. And um, I'm, I'm certainly doing a lot more. I've actually done relatively little criminal defense work over the last uh, year since the mayoral election. And uh, most of my time has been spent on base working at Tinker. In fact, um, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to get my flight suit go mission plan for my flight tomorrow. But, um, but I am uh, also a criminal defense attorney. I'm a civil rights attorney in some respects. Uh, kind of my claim to fame is that uh, when the mayor and the governor shut the restaurants and bars down uh, in 2020 at 11 o'clock, I took them to court. We opened them back up, saved a lot of jobs, saved uh, a lot of businesses. So that's something that I'm quite proud of. Very interesting. I did not know that. Wow. Uh, go ahead with your introduction, Amy sure. Warren. Always love to start with Heshje Astungo, Amy Warren, Chio Chief Gados. That is Muskogee for hello, how are you? My name is Amy Warren. I hold three higher education degrees in healthcare management, nutritional sciences, and have an MBA. I'm a registered and licensed dietitian and have served people in dialysis since 2014. I um, have also worked with um, youth and adults with uh, behavioral health and developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I have a unique um, perspective on how to approach a situation, assess it with compassion and empathy. 
I am running for city council because I, in my volunteer and uh, community organizing and professional capacities, I have seen a need for representation. And we have an opportunity to make history here, to elect just the second woman to represent Ward 8 residents, um, to elect the 12th woman to the city council, and to elect the first Native American into the city council. And so we have, um, in a space that makes decisions on land, water, green space, infrastructure, we need Native representation that can um, help make those decisions and be a voice. Yes, um, I just wish both of you the best. Um, running for city council has got to be a big decision on anyone's part because there are a lot of responsibilities that come with it. And that is what I want to hone in on today is what are the responsibilities of the city council? Um, I uh, put a mini voter guide together and when I was putting it together, I was, you know, combing over the Oklahoma City website. And I was like, oh, there's actual real responsibilities that these people go by, which I didn't know. And, you know, I work at the League of Women Voters. So if I didn't know that, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people out there who don't know that. And um, so just going over them, um, which I don't have them memorized. I have them screenshot right here on my phone. Do you guys have them memorized? Just trick questions. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah, that's too much. So, um the first one says it is to promote safe, secure, and thriving neighborhoods. So if you guys will take a minute to say something that you have already done to promote a safe neighborhood or what you plan on doing to keep promoting safe neighborhoods in Oklahoma City. Okay, well, I think with promoting safe neighborhoods, first that starts with respecting our police officers. Mm -hmm. And uh, even in my work as a criminal defense attorney, um, I show them respect when I'm, for instance, cross-examining them. I've had them come up to me, shake my hand at the end and say, well, you really kicked my butt up there. But either way, it's a matter of respect, showing them the respect that they deserve. I don't know how many jobs there are out there where you can go to work and then by the end of the day, you're charged with first-degree murder. And so that's something that we need to always keep in mind that there is an extreme amount of liability that um, those ladies and gentlemen are, are putting themselves into. And by that, that by respect, I mean in the tone and the approach that uh, we take with them and their pay. We used to be the uh, number one best paid police force in the state. Mm. And I think we should go back to being that. And... Um, so I realize there's multipliers, others, other issues in there with other state, other, mm -hmm. other um, municipalities, but we need to do the best we can to pay them as best as possible in the state because they deal with things uh, that, for instance, the city of Edmond, Moore, Norman simply don't have to deal with. Very interesting. I appreciate that perspective because I, I never would have thought about it from, I guess, from a, a, a criminal, uh, a lawyer's perspective. So yeah, good information, good information. Um, Amy, what about you on promoting safe neighborhoods? To me, um, promoting safe neighborhoods means making sure that our community, specifically our youth and our elders, are um, supported. And that means more than just policing. It means um, access to food, 
health care, making sure that people have roofs over their heads, um, education. It is so much more than just um, focusing on one um, one set of people, right? And while we do absolutely need to um, build community with our police officers, we also need to understand that we have experts in de-escalation and um, social services that we are not utilizing to the capacity that we could be. We could be um, taking some of the burden off of the police force and um, putting it in people that are experienced and have training in um, and more training than what our police officers have currently in de-escalation, um, specifically when it comes to mental health crises. Um, we just have uh, so much more that we could be doing for our community um, in addition to um, working with and alongside our police force. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, as a, a resident of Ward 8, um, do you have anyone come to you and, and say any safety concerns um, related to what they could do as far as if they got elected to city council? I'm not sure that, that you can answer this question, but it's just something that popped up in my head just now. Right. You know, it's funny because I, for example, sat on the safety committee at our public schools. And um, so I do have a perspective on what feels safe in my community. Um, I love that we were walkers to my kiddos little elementary school. You know, we were walkers and being walkers there at the community school uh, where all the neighbors kind of went to the same school. And the, I mean, you know, and in my neighborhood, it was a lot of stay at home moms. I, I'm trying to think if we had occasionally we had a dad maybe, but it was a lot of stay at home moms. We were kind of the mommy patrol. We didn't have fences. And that was one of the things that we at Edmond Public Schools, for example, um, fought to maintain really open spaces in our public schools because it was where we were able to take, for example, when I was coaching the soccer team through the YMCA, I went to the principal of the public school and I said, say, is that space okay for me to take all of our girls and boys? I taught both my son's team and my, or I coached my son's team and my daughter's team. Uh, and she said, absolutely. Public schools are public spaces. And we have a really amazing school board, for example, in which one of my friends who sits on the school board fought, even when they did finally put up fencing, she said, we can't lock out people from those. It's exact. It's kind of the point you were saying when you were like, if we have good playgrounds, good public spaces, places where the folks can go and play and have fun. It's kind of amazing how proactive and preventative that is in creating safety. You know that um, there's a beautiful book called The Discipline Gradient that kind of looks at how we raise our children. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Putnam, by the same way, is a social a uh, policymaker who argues for all of these beautiful, proactive ways that we can create safe spaces. Um, and so I highly recommend a couple of those. The Discipline Gradient, uh, Robert Putnam's written so many great books on, and you know, it's, a, it's like the World Health Organization that talked about um, the social determinants of health. I would hope, uh, and I appreciate again this opportunity to be able to talk to you because I'm always hopeful that my representatives at every level are aware of those social determinants of health. Uh, in the league, of course, we talk a lot too about the political determinants of health, voting, government, policy, social determinants of health include 
what is our drinking water look like? You know, what, uh, how many playgrounds are there? You know, how, I mean, it's just, uh, are kids warm and uh, well-fed? You know what I mean? Like these are things that keep us safe. So policies that ensure that all of our kids are receiving that kind of wealth of um, nurturing, nourishment. Like when we nourish one another, we nourish our kiddos, uh, then that's, a way of feeling really, really safe, looking out for one another. Yeah, that kind of relates to like sidewalks. And the second responsibility is um, to develop a transportation system that works for all residents. And so, you know, with the redistricting, parts of Edmond are Ward 8 now. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a really huge area. So there's a part of it where it is Edmond schools and then some of it is Oklahoma schools. But um, I'm speaking more on the sidewalks. You know, we had this big push for sidewalks a couple of years ago and Oklahoma City now has more sidewalks. So um and that has a lot to do with feeling safe because when there were no sidewalks, you didn't even want your kids walking on the side of the street. So as far as transportation goes and sidewalks falls under transportation, and I'll let Amy go first on this one. Um, how do you feel like you what you have done in the past or what you can do in the future can affect um, transportation in Ward 8? Sure. Well, I want to speak briefly on the social determinants of health. That is something I utilize in my practice as a dietitian and um, making sure that people are well fed and nourished. Um, one um, helps with um, school school testing, um, making them feel safe, et cetera. And so I think it's important that we um, are mindful of that um, because Oklahoma is the fifth hungriest state in the nation. And we do need to uh, make sure that our youth um, are protected in that way. Uh, one of my priorities is youth and community centers. We are the only ward in the city that does not have a youth or community center. So I would love to see a build out in our ward to provide a safe space for our youth and the families that need to utilize that service. Um, regarding transportation, mm -hmm. Ward 8 only has one bus line. Really? One bus line that goes, um, that is accessible to our residential neighborhoods, right? And that is the bus line that you can be picked up from at Mercy Hospital or at Quail Springs Mall. Um, given the redistricting, we have residents that if they need that service, need to walk over five miles mm. or journey, you know, depending on their, um, you know, their accessibility. So that is something that I would also like to prioritize. That's something I've talked about. Um, when I am knocking doors, um, people are asking me questions. Why do we only have one bus stop? Why can't we add, you know, a stop at the local library? Why can't, you know, why are our bus shelters not ADA accessible? So that would be a priority for me. Um, as we see the bus rapid transit come into fruition in the next couple of years, I was looking at that as well. That's a great, I mean, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I think it will be great for our city. Um, but that's still the nearest one is over two miles from any resident in Ward 8. And so um, as we get that implemented, I think we need to also look and plan, you know, a strategic plan into how we can incorporate more routes into specifically our ward. 
Mm-hmm. Have you thought about this, uh, Mr. Bannock? Transportation? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the bus issue that she's talking about. No, absolutely. And I'm glad she touched on, thank you, Amy, for uh, bringing up the distance we would have to travel to uh, get to a bus stop in Ward 8. So as I mentioned, I lived in Germany uh, for three months and I didn't live on the military base. I lived out there on the uh, on the economy, so to speak. And I made it a point to try their public transportation system there. Their buses, trains, both the ICE trains and the uh, the regular trains. And for example, uh, the bus in the the town that I lived in, bus stops were every one to two minutes. I didn't have to walk more than five minutes to get to a bus stop. And then all the bus all the 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 bus stations they all go to the train station, and then from there every town has essentially the same setup. And uh, until we are prepared to fund a system like that, then it's just not going to happen because we're not set up. You know, you look around there and it's the typical European city with the businesses down in the bottom and then apartments up top, very condensed living. Whereas we live in neighborhoods, even if there were to be a bus stop at the entrance to our neighborhood, well, it wouldn't take me very long, but it might take other people another five to 10 minutes just to walk to that bus stop. And so until we're prepared to spend a significant amount of money, it's going to be very difficult. Another example said I lived in Qatar for uh, for three months and I made it a point to uh, check out their public transportation system. Their metro, which was just finished, is phenomenal. And that would be something like what we would need here if we wanted to um, you know, have some sort of comprehensive plan. $36 billion, okay? Until we're prepared <laughs> to spend in the realm of $36 billion or in the billions of dollars for something like that, it's going to be very difficult. So whatever we we plan on doing, it needs to be targeted. So where are the, the biggest groups of people, apartments, uh, and, and where is the concentration of businesses that these people need to get back and back and forth to this, uh, this rapid transit that you mentioned, I've been asking what kind of studies were done to conclude that this is the route that we need. Maybe there has been a study. I haven't seen it. Um, but if there hasn't been a study, I would like a study or two to be done to determine where can we get the biggest bang for the, for the buck on things like that. And one other quick thing about transportation is if you know anything about me, you know, I hate the streetcar. And now, and now we're up to $5.6 million for this, this fiscal year in Oklahoma city. That is a subsidy from the general fund. So a lot of people think, Oh, it's this, this is maps money that keeps going into it. No, if you look at the budget subsidy from the city's general fund, $5.6 $5.6 million for something that hardly anybody rides. I get it. Some people ride it. I see their posts on the on Facebook telling me how they love it. We can't have something that we're subsidizing to such a high degree just because a couple people love it. And I think that money could be better spent, maybe more bus routes. But how about our streets? That's a transportation issue yeah. as well. Maybe we can talk more in depth about the conditions of our streets and, and the lack of assistance there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, on to, to traveling, thinking about traveling, when I think about when I go to these bigger cities like New York or Atlanta, um, 
you can literally get on a bus or a train at the airport and get to where you need to be up to like an hour away. And so I feel like in my head, like it's kind of crazy that you can't get from the airport in Oklahoma to Edmond or even to Ward 8 or to Dell City, like everywhere that's in the metro. I feel like that does need to be a thing. But like you said, it's the finances behind it. And so with that being said, the next um, responsibility is to maintain strong financial management. So if you want to elaborate a little bit more, not just as far as transportation goes, but the whole budget of the city, um, how would you or how would you deal with that responsibility? Okay, well, I think we need to uh, do an audit on the MAPS projects mm -hmm. and, and see what's going on with them. Um, I, uh, I think that we are wasteful in general with, with our money. Streetcar is what I use is the biggest, biggest example because it's you know, one, of the, one of the easiest things to, to visualize. But we're constantly chasing these, these shiny new objects. Hey, let's do a new MAPS project for this and that. Hey, why don't we focus on what we currently have? I talked to the, like when I was running for mayor, of course, talking to many people all over the city. So... I'm talking to the, um, uh, the, the, the owners of businesses in Bricktown and they say, we've basically been forgotten. The, the city's on to the next thing. You know, how can we spend money here? But we're forgetting, we're forgetting these businesses. We can't even replace light bulbs. These businesses in Bricktown are paying money for, for the light bulbs and graffiti to be removed. And the owners of those businesses are going to have going out and having to remove graffiti themselves. So where is this money, this district money going? This needs to be audited. If the money isn't going to actually help these businesses, these businesses need to not have to pay this money anymore so that they could keep it and either raise wages or improve their services. Mm -hmm. Improve the economy. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking a minute ago, I had read this survey a couple of months back and it said it was about oh, the, the bus system and transportation. And somehow it said that the people rated the bus system like 10 out of 10. Like we are very extremely approving and it like we we're satisfied we're very satisfied and I was thinking like who filled out this survey because you can't even get from A to B easily and I've heard a lot of people say that you have to sit at a bus stop for sometimes two hours just to try to get somewhere and it, it's not an easy system I've never actually rode the bus so I'm, I'm speaking on a person that has only read things and only heard things so but even yeah that being said if you'll go ahead and, and respond to the the financial management of the city? Sure. I think that, you know, I somewhat agree with maybe looking into where our monies are going um, with the MAPS projects, but there's also a really, um, there is a place for our MAPS projects. I mean, they provide us with beautification, connectivity, you know, so many things that we need to move our city forward. Um, I do think that with our budgeting and the MAPS, we have to look at various bond issues in order to supplement some of the things that we need to address, specifically our housing housing crisis and homelessness um, concerns. You know, we're seeing people being priced out of homes. So um, increasingly 30% over the past year or so. And um, that is an issue um, budget wise. We um, have 
allocated funds in MAPS 4 to um, address this issue. However, those funds, if you read it carefully, are conditional and they're just a fraction of what it would cost to help house our community. And so, um, you know, we would need to look at various bond issues, like I mentioned, um, to I mean, it's a billion dollar issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we don't have the monies in, in our budget currently to to do that. And so implementing, you know, including that in the next bond would be very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the, the next responsibility is to enhance recreation opportunities and community wellness. And I think about the financial aspect of that as well, like as far as, um, you know, we don't really have the pools anymore. Um, but it's so hot in the summertime here. And um, I, we do a community and coffee at El Monte Library. And I, last month, um, there was an elder lady saying that, um, you know, there's there are centers for uh, elders to go and enjoy things. But how do you get there if you don't have a car? You know, how do you get there if it takes so long to get on the bus? And does she feel safe sitting at the bus stop for as long as it takes to get to, on the bus to get there. And even even when you get there, you have to pay for it. So if people are living on Social Security or, or a fixed income, then they can't even afford it. So um, that being said, um, I guess we'll go back this way again. Um, what do you think about um, community wellness and recreation? I think there's an absolute, I mean, we, we need to have community wellness and recreation, right? I mean, one of the things I want to do is is build a youth and community center and, you know, allocate funds for that because there is an allocation in MAPS 4 for it. Um, but it's it's a very good question. I don't know that I have the answer for that. Um, I would definitely need to look into that further. But, I mean, with our transportation issues, with, you know, our elders not having the means to get from point A to point B, um, those are definite concerns that we will need to look at for sure. And, and I don't, even when I think about it, I don't think about only elders. I think about, like, even a person like myself, like when I wasn't working, Um, If you want your kids just to go to the park, I've lived in a neighborhood where there is no park and you have to go five neighborhoods over just to get to a park. And am I, you know, how how do my kids get there? What 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 is Oklahoma City offering as far as um, recreation opportunities? So it's more than just it's just for everyone. Um, How do where do we go? And I think one thing that we need to be mindful of as we're, you know, moving our city forward is environmental um, infrastructure. We have to maintain these green spaces because that is part of a social determinants of health. It is part of, you know, maintaining an overall healthier lifestyle, right? Having, having access to these green spaces. And a lot of our cities, a lot of our neighborhoods don't have that. And so how do we, um, incorporate, uh, rebuild, um, re-implement? How do we, how do we um, incorporate those spaces mm-hmm. so that our communities are thriving? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, it's to, the, the responsibility is to enhance recreation opportunities and community wellness. So is there anything that you have done or anything that you plan on doing as far as this responsibility goes in Ward 8? Yeah, so uh, I'm certainly a, a proponent of health and wellness. Uh, I've run the Oklahoma City Marathon. I've run the half marathon, run a bunch of 5Ks, bring my kids with me. Um, and so when I was in Germany, um, I could run from my hotel down to the park uh, on, on a sidewalk the entire way. I felt very safe in a beautiful park with trails and everything. 
and I get back here, I'm like, okay, well, let me try to run to the park. And I think maybe the closest park is what Mitch park, maybe, which is not in Oklahoma city. Um, and, but if I, if I, if I did that, I'd be running through drainage ditches and through grass and through places where there weren't crosswalks. So, so my point is that even like I, what I think is the closest part near me, it would be extremely unsafe for me or certainly me to bring my kids. Hey, let's ride our bike down to the park. So we have to, at the very least, do our best to have people uh, have safe access to those parks. So if we need to put in a sidewalk so somebody can walk to it, I think these kind of little things, they all add up. And, um, and then at least the parks that we have, people can get to. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of of the mindset of we're good on parks. We're good on parking. We got scissor tail, but the more I think about it, I'm like, Hey, you know, it was kind of nice being able to run just a couple minutes away to a nice, beautiful park. Um, now we can't put these all over the city, but maybe, maybe we can do a little bit better with community parks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think sidewalks are definitely underestimated. I grew up in the Bay area in California. And one thing that I did notice when I moved to Oklahoma was like, they don't have sidewalks. So yeah, I'm very appreciative for everyone who has put in an effort towards sidewalks. Um, so, um, encouraging a robust local economy and, uh, we will start with you again, Mr. Urbanic. Okay. Well, um, I think we got to keep OKC open for business. That was my my mantra when I ran for mayor, and uh, it's it's still a core belief of mine. Um, one of the reasons why I decided to run for city council against um, the current incumbent is uh, because of his treatment of businesses. He introduced the the mask mandate, and regardless of how you feel about that ordinance. What I saw from a member of the community, as a member of the community, and as a criminal defense attorney, is that this turned people in our community against each other. It was extremely polarizing. And what it did to businesses, it deputized them, quote unquote, as members of law enforcement. Well, they're neither trained nor paid to be members of law enforcement. So I think that was highly unfair to, to businesses. And so we need to treat them a lot better, give them the respect that they deserve, make this a welcoming place for them. And then on top of that, one of my uh, proposals is to amend the, the city's Riot Control and Prevention Act to give the city council the ability to end an emergency declared by the mayor. The reason why I want to do this is because of what our mayor did in 2020 by declaring an emergency twice. Again, say what you want about that, but I think there were some differing opinions and some people on the city council may have thought this emergency has gone too long and there needs to be some checks and balances. And the way this applies to business is it, it significantly hurt businesses. Businesses were on the verge of going out of business. People were about to lose their jobs. The plaintiffs that hired me for the lawsuit against the city, had we not done what we did with that lawsuit and the one against the governor, half those businesses would have likely gone out of business by the end of that year. Um, so we need to send a message that our city isn't, you know, our, our 
business's ability to do business is not going to be ruled by the whims of one person. There's going to be some checks and balances in the city council. Yeah. <laughs> when you was talking about masks, have you guys ever heard of this show called P-Valley? <laughs> it's a crazy show. I don't recommend it. But um, it was crazy. There's this uh, episode on there where there's this guy uh, that the dollar store hires and he's like deboing people because they don't have their mask on. And he's like tackling people because they don't have their mask on. So anyways, that's where my mind went to when you're talking about that. It's not funny, but it was funny on the TV show. But anyway, so yes, a robust local economy, Amy. Sure. So while our current city council uh, representative submitted the ordinance for the mask mandate, he ultimately voted against it. And for me, as a healthcare professional who worked day in and day out, seeing the devastating effects of and, and having studied the coronavirus in my virology class um, and understanding the, um, gosh, how hard and how drastically I, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew it was coming. And it's unfortunate that um, public health and public safety was polarized, was um, politicized. It's um, a shame that we did not band together as we so often do as Oklahomans band together to protect our most vulnerable. It's um, a shame that that did not occur. And for me, when I think about a robust local economy, I think about my family's business. My family has had a small business that has been integral in the arts for over 50 years, a staple here in Oklahoma. And I saw firsthand um, how difficult it was for them to shut down. Um, they barely made it. You know, somebody that has been, um, you know, giving back to the local community, being a part of local Oklahoma, um, to see that um, on the brink was, um, it, it made things very difficult. I mean, it's really hard to make tough decisions when you're trying to protect local businesses, local economy, and your most vulnerable. And so that's, you know, for me, a unique perspective I have becoming from healthcare, being able to step back, assess the situation and make the best decision. Um, like I said, based on facts and empathy, that um, is, is something that I would do. So um, I think that it's important that we weigh everything. Mm -hmm. um, we have lost a lot of local businesses. Oklahoma is known for small local businesses there it's the hub it's where you go we want to shop small we want to shop local we want to you know keep these um, families um, and companies surviving and thriving and so um, you know we just need to be mindful of how we can do that while protecting um, our public mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it, it, living in ward eight um, do you know quite a few business owners stephanie yeah, you got me. Thanks. <laughs> do I? I do know some. I do know some Oklahoma City business owners. What do you think that? Um, and and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. What do you think that they would need as far as support goes? And I'm not talking about the mask. I'm talking about just in general. What do you think like their main concerns are as far as having a robust economy? No, I appreciate what you both are saying because it sounds to me like that was some of the common ground that our businesses are important and our safety is important. That's both. It's both and. And so that, again, just to emphasize, to be honest with you, what what feels good is hearing people come together with, like in a strong democracy. We have people coming together and saying, 
here's where the common ground is. Here's where maybe these things don't come to, you know, this, and that makes me feel safe if you want to know the truth. When, and since we're talking about when the coronavirus hit and, and what you were saying about it, all of a sudden the, the discussion was divisive. I felt scared, you know, because I wanted to know what's the right thing to do. And I wanted a community. I wanted a state. I wanted government that was willing to come together under strong leadership, you know, and really at that time you are kind of looking for strong leadership, I think, and you're wanting somebody to tell you, what do I need to do to protect my family? And the fact that there was such, I think, unhappy discord, you know, it was really ugly. And that was hard for me because I'm such a unifier. Like I like being able to come together and say, hey, we're all different. We all see things differently, but here's the, we're doing the best we can. It's not going to be perfect. And I think that was one of the, I mean, I think it's okay to say there's not necessarily one right answer. I think it's okay to say we don't know the right answer right now Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's really important because the truth is none of us did really know exactly what the right answer was. We were all, all of us trying to do the best we could. And that's what I hear you both saying that you were looking out for, you know, I, I hear you both saying that, and I appreciate that, you know, that because it is different, it's same and different. Mm-hmm. We both value and we, we value both our businesses and our strong economy yeah. and our safety and our well-being. And the truth is, I always call this the Mary Poppins principle because, like, remember in Mary Poppins, people are our economy. And if we're losing people and if people are dying, then our economy is going to go down. So that's why it is the same kind of a conversation, really, because, yes, the finances are important, but people are what drive our economy without people. And so it's, it was a nuanced conversation that didn't happen. It became way simplistic and we took sides and that felt that divisiveness felt scary to me and it felt unsafe to me. So I appreciate you asking that really beautiful question because I don't think it's easy. And I appreciate you both talking about the ways that you are same on that issue and maybe the way that you saw things differently because we all did. We were all just saying, I went to Facebook, I remember. Like, I remember thinking, I'm going to Facebook to find out what to do to keep my family safe. And then I was like, like this is not a good idea to go to Facebook, you know, because it was it was divisive. So I was like, probably the most that, that is what, that, maybe that is what I would say. Is, but this feels wonderful to me. Do you know what I mean? Like face to face communication and conversation, where we really get a sense for, hey, we are all same, same, and we're all different. We see things same and we see things different. And that's the beauty and the complexity and the diversity of these conversations. That makes me feel empowered and safe, empowering policies, you know, that allow each of us to make decisions that feel right for our families on that very individual level. You know, my family is different than yours. Jewish, we all have asthma, you know, so I remember thinking, Oh my gosh. I mean, seriously, and you know me, Jackie, probably better than anybody, but pretty much I, I've had the opinion that if I got it, I was going down. <laughs> and so I, you know what I mean? Because of my asthma, because the flu almost did take me down. Do you know what I mean? Like I have been in the hospital almost dying because, and then people were comparing it to flu. You know what I mean? Like, so of course I thought if I get it, I'm going down. Yeah. So I knew that was an extreme thank goodness for my husband, right? Because like he had, he was a little calmer about, you know, so we were able to come together. We saw that a little differently. He was, I was, I would have been one who would have locked myself in my room for, you know, however many years, but he was like, I think it's going to be okay. And we learned together. I mean, I think a good model for good government is good family government, the way that we govern and, and one another. We see, you know, my husband and I see things differently. We're the leaders in our family. 
you know, we, of course, talk to our kids. It's a very democratic way. We have a very democratic family. And so thank goodness for that. Thank, thank goodness he sees the world so much differently than I see it, because otherwise I would have spent the pandemic in my room. I'm just washing my potato chips. <laughs> no, like I would have been. But he was like, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for our diversity. Very interesting. Yes, especially your perspective. It, um, just like I said, thinking about it from a, a law perspective, um, I appreciate everything that, that you said. It's it's unique. It's very unique. So, And, and also something to consider is the position that this put our police in. And I, I've talked a lot. They didn't like having to respond to, to these calls either. And so, again, it's about respecting a lot of people uh, in our community, business owners, police, of course, the individuals as well. And then us extending that respect to everybody else. That's but right. but our leaders need to need to. I think show more respect to That's the right. members of our community. <laughs> so that actually is a perfect um, intro into the the last responsibility, which is to uphold high standards for all city services. Um, and I can't remember who answered first last time. Um, I don't know. Let's go with Amy and 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 then uh, Mr. Lawyer can close this out. <laughs> and Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Um, Please repeat the question. Oh, yeah. So the last responsibility is to uphold high standards for all city services. That is um, the, the actual responsibility. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> I mean, we have standards. We have best practices. We have, um, you know, models in place to um, measure against what is currently taking place and what needs to happen. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, city services, we're talking about, you know, water, we're talking about transportation, our police force, even our city council, right? And so um, upholding that and making sure that, um, that everyone is doing their due diligence, I think that sometimes we are so quick to want to give praise where um, look, we, we have city services that are, um, not necessarily where I would like to see them, right? We have, um, you know, water and trash services that, you know, don't necessarily get picked up in a timely manner. They get forgotten. We have, you know, um, our transportation, like you have already mentioned, people sitting at the bus stop for hours at a time. And a lot of this goes back to, you know, our people, people we have lost. We have so many, you know, our police force, they were at the community forum last Sunday. We're talking about how shorthanded they were. And so that even just having um, a professional in that capacity under the pressure of being shorthanded, mm -hmm. that puts additional stress on them and that potentially causes, um, a miscue in a decision. And so, you know, making sure that everyone is adequately staffed is very important. And then that goes back to how many people have we lost? Um, we are so, so many people are quick to say, we just don't have people that want to work. Well, let's be mindful of all of the people that we have lost here in Oklahoma. And let's take a moment to recognize that we don't have the people anymore. I mean, they're not here with us. And so um, that coupled with you know, stressed city services creates for um, for not meeting the needs and the goals and the best practices of each city service that's in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I will repeat it one more time. It's uphold high standards for all city services. All right. So you talked about upholding high standards. So starting at 18, I've taken many oaths. That's when I first joined the military. And I, I, I've uh, said similar oaths ever since then, not only in the military, but uh, Oklahoma bar. I'm a, I'm a licensed practicing attorney here. So um, I, I feel like I still uh, uphold, or not feel like I do, still um, uphold the Air Force core values, excellence, service before self. And, um, and so things like that, are, I think, are what we need to, uh, you know, exemplify, right, as leaders. And when you talk about providing services to uh, people, how about opening our city business or our city buildings back up? The police station lobby has been closed for, what, over two years now? And they, they initially said it was COVID. And then they said, well, we're remodeling. You know, you look in there and doesn't look like there's any remodeling work being done. We've, we have paid for this building. We should be able to access this building. And uh, to give you an example, previously when I wanted uh, to pick up Discovery, you know, police report, I would walk in with my report and my money and then I would pay, they would give it to me and I would leave. Mm -hmm. Now you have to fill out something online they send you an email, tells you how much to pay. You pay them and then they have to, uh, then they mail it to you. But if you want to get unredacted discovery as an attorney, you have to get a signed order by a judge, mail that to the police. Then once they receive it and they receive your money, this is ridiculous. I should be able to walk into the police station with my order from the judge and the money and the request report, report request and get the discovery. <laughs> Why on earth two years later can't, can't our city provide the service of being able to walk in to the police station? This is not an anti-police <laughs> message. This is a pro openness of government message. I know many of the people that work there because I talk to them all the time. Wonderful people. It's not their policy. It's a city policy. Perfect example of our government not providing the services that they should provide. And I'm not aware of any other police department in the entire state that still has their lobby closed after COVID. Hmm. Very interesting. I did not know that. Um, yeah. So sounds like a uh, like you're pushing for accountability, not to be difficult or anything, but just like this is the, the that's the high standard that that's part of the responsibility and we all need to abide by it. Right. And, and it's not only that, it's uh, the the kind of, I guess, the city government building where contractors need to get plans approved. And maybe it's changed over the last couple months, but last time I talked to people, it's they got to email something in and wait on an email. Whereas before you could just walk in, lay your plans out. They'd say, okay, this is what you need to do. This is causing delays. And what do delays cause? They cause increased cost. And it goes back again to respecting the people of this community. And by doing this, I don't think our city leaders are showing that proper respect. Thank you. Thank you for that perspective. Um, before we close out, is there anything else that you want to say, Stephanie? 
Gosh, again, just underscoring I, how much I appreciate you both. I hope these are, and just thank you for engaging. I To go back, I, maybe to fall back on what Robert Putnam had said, you know, he's written a book, Most his most recent book is called Upswing. He wrote a book called Our Kids, and maybe the most famous one is Bowling Alone. And he talks about how he really has a vision. He's this beautiful visionary of, which, and I, I see both of you too as being visionaries on how we can be better in community. And he points out that, this is how we are better is when we come together. So whether it's opening our public spaces so that we can be together there, you know, just all the different ways that we come together again with all of our, the myriad of different voices and are able to have this great civil discourse and flesh things out to find that, that common ground, better way moving forward to progress and better communities. And I thank you, by the way, for, hey, because how cool is it? How many of us could articulate the responsibilities of our city council people before today? And you, by the way, I always am thinking, when are you going to be running for a public office? Never. Because you have this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful way of... <laughs> suggesting that this, you know, here's what the role is. Thank you for the voter guide that you put together. Thank you for the civic engagement that you, um, just thank you for this work again, 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 this podcast and the vision that you have to create the space where many myriad voices can come together and progress to better community. I appreciate for, that. Yes. But this is my lane and this is where I'm staying. <laughs> I will never run for anything. So yeah, um, the voter guide is on our website, www.lwvokc.org. And if you click on the voting tab, a little sub menu will come up and you click on, uh, it says something like mini voter guide um, 2023 February election or something like that. And you'll see Amy's information on there and you'll see Frank Urbanic's <laughs> information on there. And you'll also see Stone Cipher's information on there, which I do want to say um, he uh, sends his apologies for not being here. He had a deposition or some a responsibility. So um, that being said, um, we can all say bye to Facebook and everybody go out and vote, vote, vote on February the 14th and make sure that you're registered to vote by February the 10th if you want to vote in March's election. So bye. Bye. Thank you, Mado. Thanks for having me. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.